hour to go on Wesson Walker at Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Fiddy is excited. His Taco Bell just entered the studio. The Planet Kia Studios, by the way. Visit PlanetKiaNC.com and get your car today. Appreciate Flounder coming in, bringing in the Taco Bell. He said we don't have to worry about straws. Fiddy said, why is that? Did they just give you a ton? He said, no, I went in and grabbed a lot. And the fact that he went into the Taco Bell, Fiddy said, that's an elite move out of you. Is it true that that's an elite move by Flounder? How often do you ever go into a fast food restaurant? Wes, when's the last time you actually entered the fast food restaurant rather than just going through the drive-thru? Um, man, that is a, a interesting question. I think probably last time was the Popeyes, I guess, on Wilkinson Boulevard. They had messed up something on my order. So oh, so you went in there to, to fix it. You went in there to say, hey, get it right. <laughs> Not quite like that, but I did go in there to inform them that they had made an error mm-hmm. uh, on my fish sandwich, actually. They left the tartar sauce off. Yeah, why was that an elite move, Fiddy? I mean, just because he was going to make sure that it was hand-delivered to him the right way? How was, do you do you not ever go into the fast food restaurant? No, we have an issue of order, or going to places and getting food. They don't give us straws with our drinks. Gotcha. So, we, you know, we... We've now got the straw supply back up. We now need to get the fork supply back up as well. Well, that's also incredibly lazy. That's true as well. That's why it's an elite mm-hmm. move. But also, they're a big, they're a spork company, right? Because they're part of KFC. Remember how big sporks were? I don't know if they're still big. Maybe I'm just talking to myself. Uh, it does seem has, like it. That's who, fine. Who still gives those out? It's somebody that does. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I think it's been so long since I've been in there as well. Spork. Yeah. KFC was was the big sport fast food. Do you ever thing. eat inside them, though? Like, what's Never. the last time you've eaten inside of them? Uh, it probably, it's probably a Bojangles that, man, it might have been a Bojangles in Durham that I went to when my buddy got married out there. And, of course, we were drinking one night. We went to Bojangles the next day before the actual wedding took place. That's probably the last time I went to a fast food restaurant and dined inside. And I feel like Bojangles, that happens more so with other fast food restaurants. Is that safe to say? Uh, I would dine in a Bojangles before I did Taco Bell or even McDonald's, anywhere else like that. For yep. some reason, that just seems. And if to you be- have kids, you'll eat. In, you're more likely to eat inside of them sometimes. Oh yeah, people are writing in Bojangles does sporks. So there you go. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. I, I thought it was them, but I couldn't remember for. Oh, big shout out to Bojays. Yeah, elite <laughs> franchise, as some of the kids might say. Seven zero four five seven zero ninety six ten. Feel free to text in. Let's get to a move that came in on Friday for the Carolina Panthers. They signed DJ Chark. I don't know if we we expected it at first, and then it took a while. Scott Fitterer spoke to media before they even signed him, but had signed already so many different players, and he said that they're still in conversation with Chark and his agent. Eventually, they got the deal done. He'll receive $5 million, fully guaranteed, on a one-year deal. The contract contains $3.2 million at the time of the signing via signing bonus, and there are four void years for salary cap purposes. So really, this is just a one-year deal for DJ Chark. I like it. I thought it was big. Every single pass-catching signing they make is big because they traded DJ Moore, and that's the only one you felt really comfortable with heading into next season. The receiving core looks like this now, Wes. You have Adam Thielen, who you signed. You have Terrace Marshall, who is the lone big holdover, unless you want to count Shai Smith like that as far as a wide receiver. LaVisca Chenault still a part of this team, but then you're starting to get into some cut territory. DJ Chark, Hayden Hurst, a tight end you signed, and Miles Sanders, a guy that you brought in, I imagine, is going to be involved in the passing game. So now that DJ Chark is officially on board with the Carolina Panthers, how are you feeling after this move, Adam Thielen, Hayden Hurst, 
Miles Sanders, and then the holdovers they had from last year. Uh, I think it was a decent move if if he can uh, stay healthy. I mean, this is a career 14.4 yards per catch guy. He's got 18 touchdowns, but the big thing for him is we talked about the speed and we talked about uh, just the separation fact of him being able to get uh, open consistently. And I talked about he was 57th in the league in total route wins, but his target separation versus man was uh, 102nd. And so uh, that's the thing with him is can he step up to be uh, an elite number two, borderline number one receiver? This is his opportunity. This is as good of an opportunity as you're going to get with the Carolina Panthers, a rookie quarterback uh, that's basically going to come in and uh, definitely trying to find the open man, if anything, and not just looking for a a go-to guy to feed the ball into. So this is his chance to really put up some numbers. So if he can stay healthy, we know he's had ankle problems, things of that nature, played in 11 games last year, started 10 of those, 30 catches, three scores. So uh, I think this is a really good prove-it deal for him. He's 26. So if he can have a big season right here, you know, he stands the chance to make some money for himself, but I think, you know, he needs to prove that he can get off that coverage on a consistent basis uh, and be the big play threat that the Panthers would expect with a guy that is 6'5", and runs a 4-3. So I, I think the weapons are totally fine. We had Ben Solak on on Friday, and he loves what the Carolina Panthers are doing. As does, three, I'm sorry. As does everybody, really. And he thinks that this is a average to maybe slightly below average group of pass catchers, but it's enough to get the most out of your quarterback as much as you can, given their offensive line and the strength being up front, protecting that number one overall selection. The wide receiver room... Still don't have the long-term future th- uh, set there by any means. You're talking about a guy that you bring in and Adam Thielen, who I like. I like the move a lot. He's going to be 33 years old by the time the season starts. You bring in DJ Chark. But even if he wasn't injury-prone, DJ Chark is only here on a one-year deal. I love it for this season. I think it's important. But you still don't have anybody locked into the future, especially with Terrace Marshall having the injury history he does. I like what he did last year. I'm a fan. But do you remember, even with me thinking it was a little ridiculous that we got to this point, but there were conversations about Terrace Marshall being a surprise cut before the actual regular season started. Now, that's not going to happen, especially with the lack of depth that they have at that spot. But we were talking about Terrace Marshall in that way before the actual season started. So to me, you have the 39th overall selection. That is still the leader in the clubhouse for me as far as what position I still want to see addressed first and foremost with the Panthers' first pick in the draft. Trevor Sikama talked about this on the Kyle Bailey show last week, and he talked about some of those options they could take at the wide receiver position. Of the guys that would be available at 39, maybe you like a Jordan Addison in that regard, but he's a smaller wide receiver. Do you think he can play X for you? Because if not, then you're asking DJ Chark to play on the line of scrimmage. You're asking him to get off press coverage consistently. Do you want to be able? Do you want to have to do that? Josh Downs, more of a slot wide receiver. If you draft Josh Downs, and a lot of people in this area know the success that Downs has been able to have at UNC, is he taken away from Thielen? Do you care about that too much? Jalen Hyatt's kind of the, the biggest X factor, right? The, the speedy Belitnikoff winner from Tennessee, depending on what you think of him. Is he just a speedster who you're just going to send on nine routes all the time? Or do you think he can develop into a more well-rounded receiver? Do you think he can get a better route tree, a more diverse route tree about him? Those are the ones that I guess I would think about at 39. What do you make of some of those options he listed there at 39, West? Uh, for one, I don't think that 
Jordan Addison's going to be there. I mean, we know in the draft things happen all the time, but I don't know that he would be there. I think Josh Downs would be a good fit to have a guy uh, that's going to be able to be in that slot and get open from there, especially with the uh, two receivers that you have already, guys that have some size, that do have that 50-50 ability down the field. You could get a Josh Downs. Who can he has the quickness to get off of coverage, uh, but also, like I said, he can work the middle of that field. And so I think that he would be a good option as well. And then I think that another guy that you could look at would be a guy we have not been talking about is my man A.T. Perry uh, out of Wake Forest, who is a guy that's got some of the size that you're looking for at 6'3 and a half, 198 pounds. Uh, he ran a 4.4740, and he was very productive. Uh, at Wake, you know, he was a, a very much a go-to guy. He had 81 catches uh, for over a thousand yards and 11 scores. So he's another guy, kind of in that range that they could be looking at as well. Moose brought that up as you said it, coincidentally enough, on the text line. Yeah, man, I hadn't been Wake. giving him enough love. And At Perry, I liked him a lot. He's a guy that can make big catches. Uh, he can dominate with his size, but he can also uh, run good routes as well. All right, so I, I still think wide receiver should be the priority. It doesn't mean that you pass on a great talent at a different position. It's just if you're asking me what I'd like to see there, I'm still taking wide receiver. Trevor Sycamund, he actually talked about this regarding a different position that you could potentially take at number 39. Here he is talking about it on the Kyle Bailey Show. And I actually really like that call as a corner for an option for them at number 39. Of course, I love J.C. Horn. I like Dante Jackson as well. You got Jeremy Chain, who could be a versatile guy and play in the nickel for you. But this is a really good cornerback class. And so if they have the opportunity to dip into it at 39, I still think they're going to have a really good player there for them at corner. I'm trying to think. I mean, you could even pair J.C. Horn with Cam Smith. Cam Smith again. South Carolina boys can Mm -hmm. be back at it on the edges. Tyreek Stevenson from Miami is a guy that I like. Travis Hodges Tomlinson from TCU had an unbelievable year. Julius Brents, absolute freak show of an athlete from Kansas State. He's been able to show off over the last couple of months throughout the offseason. So those are a handful of corners that you could probably get your hands on at number 39 who would help. Now, if you have a deep class at cornerback, then maybe Carolina could use their first draft pick on that position. It would be... Maybe hilarious in somewhat of a painful sort of way because they've invested so much in that position over the last couple of years. They drafted J.C. Horn. They gave the contract they did to Dante Jackson. They traded for Stephon Gilmore, even it wasn't a huge investment, only giving up a six-round pick. But it was a pretty big investment to go after C.J. Henderson, giving up a third-round pick to get the former first-rounder. And that certainly has not gone nearly as well. Keith Taylor, fifth-round pick out of the NFL draft as well. So what do you make about cornerback compared to wide receiver under the caveat it's it's all involving context here about what player is available but just the overall position that could be there at 39 which one would you rather see the Panthers go Uh, I'm always going to go offense over defense in this league Uh, I don't think you can have enough weapons you don't maybe need to have the guy but you can have a bunch of guys and so uh if there's a really good receiver sitting there and a really good corner I'm going to go with the really good receiver I think I am too And I think it's just because you already have one you feel very comfortable in going towards the future in J.C. Horn. At wide receiver, you just don't have that right now. And especially Scott Fitterer made the comment about creating an environment and all of the moves that they made that's really to try to set up the number one overall pick with as much success as possible. 
And so they've done that for the most part. I mean, they they have a great offensive line in place. This thing kind of started a couple of years ago. Joe Person kind of wrote about that on The Athletic. And then this offseason, that's when you go get the players that everybody recognizes because they might be on your fantasy football team, or at least you have considered putting them on your fantasy team. With Miles Sanders, Hayden Hurst, we've gone over the names quite a bit. So now, with some of those names, they're great. It only proves, and it only continues a really nice offseason, but you just don't have that wide receiver of the future on the team right now. That's why I think I would still go pass catcher currently over cornerback or defensive end, maybe a couple of other positions, but we'll have to see who's. Now available. you think, do you think just from a perception standpoint that this receiver could be a wide receiver of the future? Or do you think that that will take a first round pick uh, to be able to do that? No, I think he could be. I mean, I, maybe, I mean, I, it's hard to project just from perception wise, because you feel like, okay, if I'm taking a guy, I mean, a second round is a premium pick. I just wanted to know from your vantage point that the second round guy, just from your perception, do you look at him as, okay, this is going to be the guy, or do you look at this as like, okay, he could be a good two, maybe borderline one, just off of his draft selection, and you look at a guy more so in that top 15, 20 range in the first round as a real number one. If you draft him at 39, then you're certainly considering the latter here. Like, that's what you want. You want a top two receiver that could potentially be a number one. It's the latter example that you gave me. 100%, that's a high draft pick. It's the highest that you have here, Yeah. right? So absolutely, if you draft that player, then you're hoping he can be a real weapon on the outside. I mean, even slot, given what the NFL is now, you can still do a lot of damage there. So I'd absolutely welcome that. we got to get to LaFonzo Ellis on the other side of the break. He's going to join us and talk all things college basketball. It's Wesson Walker Sports Radio, 92.7 WFNZ. Always coming with the hot mess, okay? The song by Cardi B is called Hot-ish. So, you know, we always come with the hotness here on the West Walker Show. Alrighty. Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Hit us up on social media, West and Walker on Twitter, WFNZ Twitter, and the WFNZ Instagram page. Hit us up on the text line, 704-570-9610. And now... Today, I got on a 1990 UNLV Championship t-shirt. In 1992, this man was the fifth overall selection of the NBA draft by the Denver Nuggets. You might have remembered that they beat the Seattle Supersonics with him on that team, and they were the eight seed. You remember that back when they had five-game series? I do remember it. I'm also strapping in for one of your world-class intros that you have been known for here on Wesson Walker. <laughs> also a member of Notre Dame, Finding Irish where in his freshman and sophomore seasons, he led the Irish to the NCAA tournament under Digger Phelps. And now he entertains you every weekend as a member of ESPN College Game Day, giving you all the facts and all the knowledge that you need to know before you watch these games. I'm talking about LaFonso Ellis. What is going on, Mr. Ellis? <laughs> What's up, fellas? How you guys doing today? Yeah, man. So for those who don't know, ran into LaFonzo at the ACC tournament. Just happened yeah. to be, you know, late night hours. Ran into my man in the uh, lobby of the hotel up there, the Four Seasons in Greensboro. And LaFonzo was just one of the nicest guys ever, man. So that was a uh, great interaction we had that turned into this moment here. But LaFonzo, let's get straight into it, man. 
this NCAA field one of the most uh, just unorthodox ones that you could ever think of. FAU, the uh, Miami. You're talking about uh, San, San, San Diego, Diego State, State and, UConn. Yep. and UConn. So what do you think about uh, the quality of this field and just how unorthodox this tournament has been through and through? Yeah, I, I think the quality of the games are going to be at a high level. I just think it's names that people aren't familiar with. Uh, we look back last year, and we had uh, essentially a blue blood Final Four with North Carolina, Duke, uh, Villanova, and those teams are brands that everyone knows. And uh, <laughs> unfortunately, this year, uh, the only one that they may recognize is Connecticut because of the multiple championships that they've won in the past. Uh, but it doesn't take away from the quality of basketball that we're going to see. San Diego State is a team that, uh, in fact, of the four, it was the only one that was preseason ranked in the top 25. And they're formidable on the defensive end. Uh, they do a great job of keeping the basketball in front. They control tempo. They're a team that wants to keep the game in the 50s and the low 60s. And they do that by not turning the basketball over, not giving uh, second-chance opportunities. And uh, they've really been excellent so far uh, in, in this tournament. I had Creighton beaten them, and Creighton missed uh, several opportunities around the rim. They're a terrific shooting team. They were only 2 of 17 from the three-point line. And you're starting to uh, see some stars or some household names being able to emerge on teams like San Diego State. Lamont Butler was absolutely fantastic in that game yesterday with 18 points. And uh, to your point, I think it's a, a trend that will, I think the Blue Bloods will make their presence known again next year. I think this is a little bit of an aberration because the lack of uh, a, of a power team, so to speak, uh, at the level of the Blue blood, Bloods. But uh, make no mistake now, Connecticut, as I said before, having won five national championships, they are, they are a Blue Blood and well-deserving to be in the Final Four. Lafonso Ellis on the Body Works Guest Plus hotline. You can reach him on Twitter at Fonzo ESPN. Lafonso, this is the first time in 53 years that the Final Four has had three first-time squads. Who do you think is the best story out of all of the teams in the tournament? I think it's Florida Atlantic. Uh, now, they've been in the top 25 at times uh, during the year, played their way in over 30 wins on the season. And uh, they're a fun team to watch. Uh, four guys in their starting lineup who are uh, under 6'6". They're scrappy. They rebound the basketball well. John L. Davis is an absolute stud at 6'4". Great balance. Shoots the three, drive it. Uh, Greenleaf hit four threes the other day. I think he was four of six uh, from the three-point line. And so when we think of Florida Atlantic, we don't necessarily think uh, final four teams, but they're well-deserving of it. They have a big a seven-footer inside named Vlad Golden. Uh, can play with his back to the basket. He'll step out and knock down a three. They play with a really fun style. They push the basketball up the floor quickly, looking for early three opportunities. Shoot about 38% from three. They make 10 uh, a game. And uh, when you consider the fact, the fact that most people didn't even know if Florida Atlantic is even a Division One school, I think they're the greatest story uh, so far in the Final Four. Well, Alfonso, what game do you think is going to be better between these two matchups in the Final Four? Will it be San Diego State and FAU or will it be UConn and Miami, where Miami's made an excellent run, but UConn, man, they've been very dominant over the last few games they've played so far. Yeah, I think I think the latter, and and part of that is Miami uh, in a different way and a little bigger than Florida Atlantic. 
they have four guys uh, in their starting lineup who can shoot the three, who can beat you off the dribble, who can make plays for one, one another. When you think of uh, University of Miami, you think of uh, – Isaiah Wong, who was the ACC Player of the Year this year. Jordan Miller is an undersized four at six seven, but he's the same way. They post him at times, and he's really good with his footwork down the block. So if you, a person who likes scoring, I'd be shocked if this game is not in the 70s or 80s because UConn, uh, the beauty of their team is they can beat you in any way. They can beat you in the half court. They can beat you in transition. They can play small, go big. Adama Sanogo, of course, is a force on the interior at the, at the center spot. Jordan Hawkins can absolutely knock down jump shots. Tristan Newton's had two uh, triple doubles on, on the season already, and they're surrounded by three-point shooters, and they play a really fun, free-flowing style. And so stylistically, if you're a person who likes to see uh, kids be able to make individual plays and get buckets, that's the one to watch. Whereas the San Diego State Florida Atlantic is going to be a pace game. Um, San Diego State, as I mentioned before, is a team who likes to play uh, really slow, physical defensively, and keep the score in the 50s and 60s. Uh, Florida Atlantic likes to get out and go, scores over 75 points a game. And so that's, gonna, that's the contrasting styles there. Smaller team, uh, likes to play fast, shoot a lot of three individual guys who can make plays off the dribble. San Diego State, uh, slow, physical, big team that likes to keep the score in the 50s. And so it depends on the style you like. I like scoring, so I'm going mm-hmm. Miami-UConn. No, I do too. I'll choose that as well, watching Miami and UConn play. LaFonso Ellis of ESPN joining us now on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. It's Wes and Walker. LaFonso, you mentioned one great story in FAU. There's no doubt about it. The team is fun to watch. I think Jim Laranega also a really cool story to see 17 years to the day he was able to take Miami to the final four after he did so with George Mason as an 11 seed where they beat some excellent teams along the way beating the likes of Roy Williams Tom Izzo Jim Calhoun on that run now I've seen some people talking about just put Laranega into the hall of fame already what do you make of the job that he's done at a football school now having more success in basketball here lately it's really been remarkable to see. I played for the Miami Heat uh, for two years and lived in uh, Coral Gables, and I was always kind of struck by the fact that uh, it's so football dominant that they could hardly actually get people at the games uh, in, for basketball. And to understand that and to see what Coach Laranega has been able to do with uh, putting them in position year after year to be able to win and how he's been able to adjust and use the transfer portal uh, to really fill in some of the weaknesses that they that they had. They brought in Nigel Pack uh, this year from Kansas State uh, to be in the backcourt with Isaiah Wong and Nigel Pack took him a little while to get comfortable knowing where his shots were going to come from but since the mid part of the season he's been an absolute stud so you you combine uh, the fact that it's not a basketball school it's a football school attendance was low now attendance is up and to be able to go in the transfer portal get good players and to be consistently good year after year in, in South Florida a pretty remarkable achievement uh, by Coach Laranega LaFonso, when you look at the conferences, and since 2000, the ACC, the ACC has put the most teams in the Final Four. You look up this year, and the Big Ten is not there, the Big 12 is not there, nor the SEC or the Pac-12. What do you think uh, about the narrative that the ACC was down and they have a representative in Miami in the Final Four yet again? 
Yeah, I, I think it's it's similar to last year, uh, except last year they had really it was really. Um, top dominant and and so the two teams that were the most dominant teams were the ones that got to the final four at duke and north carolina um and and they really didn't have any strength in the middle of that conference last year and so the the same argument was made because you had two acc teams get there my in my judgment just because two acc teams got to the final four doesn't mean that that makes up for uh the the lack of strength in the middle and certainly toward the bottom of the acc uh, a little bit more depth this year instead of it being two uh, dominant teams at the top. The middle was really good. Clemson was strong. I know they faltered at at, at some points throughout the season, but um, they Clemson was strong. Pitt uh, and those teams didn't. Necessarily, Clemson didn't make it to the NCAA tournament, and Pitt just didn't perform as well in the NCAA tournament. The depth was a little better. There was maybe four to five teams. Uh, strong in the ACC this year compared to just two last year. So I still think when you consider historically what the ACC has been and what they were, it's still down uh, from that standpoint from their historical past. Now, I know you talked about with this Final Four, you don't think this is going to be the norm going forward. But if we do see this more uh, in the future, do you feel like that the NIL or transfer portal, which one of those do you feel like has had the biggest impact why these smaller schools are starting to make the strides and knocking off uh, the bigger schools? Yeah, I'll say more the transfer portal because in some ways I feel like the NIL, I, I hesitate to call it NIL because true NIL is the three of us having a company and see a younger person who has value that we think that we could pay twenty to $30,000 to bring more visibility to our company. So, of course, that gives them an intrinsic value. Uh, whereas right now, it's, it's it's essentially what it was during my days in school, which was but which was prohibited, meaning uh, wealthy boosters being able to provide money for kids. So it's not true NIL. It's more pay for play. But having said that, I think uh, as far as NIL is concerned, it's allowed uh, players who aren't who are terrific collegiate ball players, but don't have the ability to play in the in the NBA to actually come back. And I think it strengthens the 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 product that we have in the NCAA because you have older players who have been successful. And on the flip side of that, you have the transfer portal. I think the transfer portal is is kind of the great equalizer because what's happening is for you. Years now. It's my 14th season at ESPN, and I used to say because of the premier high school talent coming and only staying for a year and then going on to the NBA, I felt it watered down the talent pool uh, from top down, so it took away the cream. Meanwhile, uh, many of the uh, high-level D1 schools started to incorporate a philosophy that was true for low majors and mid-majors, and that is get old and stay old. Now, all of a sudden, you have all of these uh, th- these teams in kind of the middle. They're getting old and staying old through the transfer portal with successful players at a lower level. So now there's a leveling of the playing field, and I think that's exactly why we see the type of we saw the type of parity in the regular season, and I think that's why we have parity now, and that, that's existing now in the Final Four and teams that typically you wouldn't think would be able to get to the Final Four that are now in the Final Four due to transfers and in the starting lineup with Miami, for example. You have two, Norchad O'Meara and Nigel Pack, guys who are impact players on their team. And so I think it's something from that level uh, in terms of the transfer portal we're going to see going forward, continue to see going forward, I should say. 
Levanto, I did want to ask you about your favorite NCAA tournament memory because I'm looking back at the history. You lost to an awesome Georgetown team in the second round when you played them, and then you lost to Virginia the next year after making it a couple of different times. Is, is there a memory that stands out to you as, okay, that was my favorite during all of my years playing college basketball and making the big dance? Yeah, in the, in the big dance, it would certainly be that win over Vanderbilt. I can't remember who, who was the higher seed, and to have an opportunity to beat Vanderbilt uh, for my first time in the NCAA tournament and then advance to go play against a Georgetown team that ended up having uh, two Hall of Fame NBA players in it, in Dikembe Mutombo and Alonzo Mourning, both of whom during my 11th year playing, 11 years playing in the league were my teammates at different points in time. Uh, the, the, the win over Vanderbilt, and though we lost to Georgetown, at one point we actually had a lead in that game and then their point guard Charles Smith went nuts on this in the second half at 30. Uh, both of those are, are, are memories. One, because of the win against Vanderbilt and secondly, though we lost to Georgetown, went on to play with uh, two incredible guys who made a uh, huge impact uh, in the NBA. Fonzo, one more question and then we'll let you go. We've been talking about the lack of uh, McDonald's All-Americans in this tournament, quote-unquote, can't miss top 10 NBA talent uh, in this Final Four, I should say. Who do you yep. think are some players that will be playing this weekend that have a chance to uh, send their draft stock trending up? Yeah, I, I think you look at guys like Isaiah Wong, who um, – Actually, you know what? Isaiah Wong is a guy who I anticipate that would have a chance to make it anyway, but I think he's improved his draft stock as he's continued to play well because he'll, he'll be a guy that he plays a two-guard spot for Miami, but in the league he'll be a, a scoring point guard, and he's shown the ability to be able to run a team while being able to get buckets. But I think Jordan Miller has really helped himself. He's shown himself as a, as a uh, multiple-position uh, defender. He can guard one through four. He's shown the ability to be able to put the basketball down on the floor with his left or right hand, get in the lane and make the appropriate play. And at 6'7", as you know, those guys these days that have some length uh, on them uh, are valued at the NBA level because of the studs that we have at their position. you got to have some guys that can be able to defend, but on the other side, uh, have a guy that can actually be able to score. So I think Jordan Miller has helped himself immensely. I mean, dude had 27 points last night, 7-7 seven seven foot in field, 13-13 from the uh, three-point line, a good rebounder as well. So I think Jordan Miller has really helped his NBA stock. That's LaFonzo Ellis. You can catch him on Twitter, Fonzo ESPN, on the Body Works Guest Plus hotline. LaFonzo, we appreciate it, man. We'll see you down the road. Thanks, guys. I appreciate you guys having me on. Blessings to you and your families. All right, man. That was LaFonzo Ellis giving you a good basketball sandwich there. Plenty of topics to talk about uh, right there. I'm sure plenty that we will be breaking down uh throughout the week so uh i enjoyed a lot of what he had to say man especially when he talked about guys that could uh skyrocket their draft stock and also uh that acc narrative well in miami's so fun that's the thing where i i almost in my bracket fill out challenge did not want to pick them because of some perceived acc bias but i thought you know they match up well. I mean, that's the thing. It's even against any other, any of these teams defensively, their numbers haven't been great all regular season, but they have so many guys that you feel are talented that can take over. Isaiah Wong, I thought he was just as deserving as almost anybody to be player of the year in the conference. He eventually got that award. 
But Nigel Pack, even a Miller standing up, right? Like what he did, going perfect from the field. It's a fun team. And so I'm pulling for them. I'm also pulling for Jim Laranega, who's done a great job. And a guy whose stock is always high, Fitty, coming through with that flash, the last one of the day. Drop it on us. I'm just so glad Miami didn't fire Jim Laranega after three, you know, so so Stevens down there in Sam, South Beach. Sam, I didn't Beach. call for it either. Don't even hint at it. Um, <laughs> uh, so a guy that we're going to talk about in, in the years to come here on Wesson Walker is a guy with a very unique name. Okay. His first name is Air, and this guy had Wes. I mean, Wes said he watched what six throws. Yeah. And he said this guy can play. Yeah. Wes, <laughs> first off, how great of a name is that? And are if you have a second kid. Is Air Bryant on the table? It just might be, man. When you talk about NIL, who could be more marketable than this kid? When you look at him on 247, he's a four-star prospect, number 55 in the country, top 10 quarterback, number seven uh, in the nation to be exact. I saw Clemson uh, put out a tweet about his visit. So I said, that name is very uh, distinct. Let me go online and see if this is true. You go look up his 24-7 profile. There it is, Air Nolan. But then when you watch the footage, oh, my man can play. He's got a quick release. He's dropping dimes. He's dropping throws in the bucket. I'm a huge fan of this guy already. I watched about six minutes of highlights on him. Look for this kid uh, going forward, man, because I think he is a stud. Now the question is, can he even profit off of his name if Jordan has this thing trademarked already and there's no way that you can read the benefits off of it. Yeah. The way that we can maybe fix this is if he is successful, Michael Jordan just go ahead and sign him to a Jordan deal, and then everything's okay. You could allow him to profit off of his first name. Yeah. That would be awesome. I'm, yeah. I'm pulling for him. Yeah, I mean, he didn't do that to get us any free agents, but I'm sure he'll do it for this uh, quarterback. That's right, you know yeah. The salary cap a little bit different when uh, <laughs> the world is the one that is supposed to be quote-unquote limiting you. Yeah, but I'm a big fan of this kid. I want him to come to Clemson just so in the ACC that we can have this guy's top five right now is Arkansas. Clemson, Miami, Oregon, and Texas A&M, uh, those all, they all have his interest at warm, so uh, tremendous, and I hope we get him in the ACC because this guy looks like he's going to be a, a, a pretty, pretty good player. When we come back, we close this thing down, what's on tap, and sports history. On this day in sports history, Fiddy will give you that. This is the Weston Walker Show, Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. to LaFonso Ellis calling an audible really didn't have him scheduled and then he said he could come on and so we appreciate him hopping on at 220 talking about his favorite NCAA tournament memory but also the better games the better storylines each of these teams making the final four we'll put that interview on our website wfnz.com as we will Nick Roush who joined us earlier in the show today to discuss Will Levis's pro day Carolina continuing to tour after they caught C.J. Stroud, Bryce Young, and Will Levis's pro day, Anthony Richardson. The only one next as far as the top four QBs to go. We'll see if they bring everybody just like they did to the three pro days that they had this past week. If you want to have a photo finished text, come in through the Garage Door Guru text line. You can do so by texting 704-570-9610. What's on tap tonight? We were just talking about it. I'm not even sure there is anything on tap tonight. What are you going to be watching, Fiddy? Is there something that you're going to be watching that is not involved in the sports world? Because we don't have baseball. 
we don't have the NCAA men's tournament going on this evening. What is something that you're going to be tuning into to try to uh, fill the sports uh, void in your life? Dude, I uh, I got through like half a season of Seinfeld on Saturday alone. So maybe I'm just going to keep on my trajectory towards trying to finish up Seinfeld. I'm in the back half of season six. So I'm at the point of the show where everyone says it's goaded. So maybe that might have my attention. Now you gave it another chance after you didn't like it the first attempt at watching this thing. Do you mm. like it better now? Yeah, I mean, I I could see why people tune in. I still don't think it's better than Friends. But it, it's not a bad show. Yeah, I don't think it's better than Friends either, but a lot of people do love Seinfeld. If you want to watch some sports tonight, South Carolina, they'll be playing Maryland in the NCAA Women's Tournament, uh, a 1-2 matchup, and then at 9 o'clock on ESPN. Following that game I just mentioned, Virginia Tech, Ohio State, they'll be going at it 1-3 matchup between the Hokies and the Buckeyes. What are you going to be watching tonight? Anything interesting? I'm going to watch that Virginia watch Tech game for sure, man. I want to see Elizabeth Kitley and Georgia A. Moore, see what they got tonight, see if they can get to the Final Four for old uh, Kenny Brooks. Louisville wasn't able to do so. I'm, I'm very well versed in uh, ACC women's basketball because we started cutting their highlights on a regular basis on the ACCDN that you can watch on our platform. I'd love to see South Carolina just run through everybody and destroy them. On their way to a second championship. Wow. I want Don. Yes. I want pure domination from Don Staley. Domination. Is that a headline you oh, think used there? Okay. That was good. Yeah, yeah. that was really air good. Air high five. Okay. Thank you. I like your air high five. You just helped out the people at the, was it, Columbia? I don't know what their paper is called, but you probably just gave them a headline. Yeah. Did you just, I think you did, did you just go Columbiana? Did you just go Zoe Saldana movie? No, I said Columbia. I thought you were saying Columbiana, like the Columbiana whatever. (laughs) Anyways, feel free to take it. I don't even need your money. I just want to see it on a headline. Domination. WWF Raw or WWE Raw tonight, man. It's WrestleMania week. No, I'm not going to be watching that. (laughs) You can watch it. I'll be wrestling with what to actually watch. Yeah, 100%. Yes, that's good. Another air high five. Let's just dish them out all the way through (laughs) and then go to what happened on this day in sports history. What you got for us, Fitty? Man, on this day back in 19. 39 and the first ever men's basketball championship title game the university of oregon beat ohio state 46 to 33 although the ohio or although ohio state forward jimmy hull was named the tournament's most outstanding player and then on this day in 1978 uh, the 40th men's uh, title game was played and kentucky beat duke 94 to 88 as the Wildcats won their fifth NCAA title, and Jack Givens scored 41 points in the process. When did the first time, I wonder what the first time was where we actually coined some term blue blood. Is Oregon the first blue blood ever in college basketball? Because they won the championship? Like, <laughs> so for the next 10 years, hey, those Ducks, man, you got to watch out. A real blue blood. I don't think any black people were playing in that first game, I'll tell you that. In 1939? Yeah. I'm going to guess no. <laughs> I don't know. That's an interesting question, though. Like, when it happened where we had at least one black player in the Final Four in the National Championship game? Yeah. Because what's the movie called? Glory Road, right? Yeah. That's the one. Kentucky, Texas El Paso, Texas Western at the time. I thought Texas stuff. Well, or, so yeah, it was Texas Southern. Southern, yeah. excuse me, not Texas Western. And they were the first team to start all five. Right. You know, it wasn't the first time a, an African-American right. started in the final. Right. So that's the one that a lot of people will go to, though, because Glory Road was also made because of that. Pat Riley on that Kentucky team. Yeah. That's what I always remember. Him and Louis Dampier. And real quickly, 
Do we like the movie Glory Road? It was good. Yeah, I did. Fantastic. I, I've only seen bits and pieces of it. What? I have not watched it in its entirety. How? Are you surprised? Yeah, you guys are mad at me. Dude, this is a basketball movie. You I know. Basketball. He doesn't like sports movies like that either. I mean, remember? Th- have you seen Hoosiers from start to finish? I have seen Hoosiers from start to now finish. Now that I haven't seen, I'm not gonna lie. So Hoosiers was always on <laughs> every single time that I would go to college basketball, not college basketball camp, but Butler. Park Tudor in high school, Iowa, when Steve Alford was coaching, I went to a ton of different basketball camps, and any time that you would eat lunch, you would have to watch TV afterwards for about 30 minutes or so to let your stomach settle before you went back out there on the court. So that'd be movie time. What we went through every single year, it was The Pistol, Pete Maravich team, or a Pete Maravich movie, I should say, Space Jam, Like Mike, and Hoosiers. Okay. Those would be the one. And then we'd have a lot of highlight films. Yeah. Like Jam Session, um, Larry Bird, Magic Johnson, The Golden Years, stuff like that. What have you, you got? seen Rebound? I don't think so. Which one's Rebound? What Earl is, Re- is that? That's the guy where he, he he's a he's a rec league coach. Is it Martin Lawrence? Yeah, it's Martin okay. Lawrence, yeah. Ooh, that oh, is, yeah, yeah. That's old, that did not get a whole lot of fanfare though, right? Um I'm trying I, I to think of what other basketball movie. movies. Blue chips. Don't be well, we yes, blue chips for sure. I know blue chips. That's that's the one where the acting is hilarious in that movie. I mean, you've got to see Coach Carter from start to finish. Yeah, Coach yes. Carter. Got to love Coach Carter, man. 100. percent He got game. He got game is great too. So we're just going down all the the great. Bat- <laughs> this is a beginning of the show, not right? The, not with the. Minute. Well, this is what happens when you that's admit right. to not seeing a legendary basketball. Film. That's that's true. That's true. Um, no, wait. I, I, I was right. Sean the Tar Heel fan is saying it was uh, Texas Western, not Southern. So okay, you guys well, we stand correct. You guys are still wrong. Yeah, we stand I said correct. It was Texas Western. No, you said Southern. Pull yeah, the you tape. agree with me when I you said did. Texas Southern. You did, and you disagreed with me, and you guys have seen the movie. And yeah, I, I think you even said it. You was like, yeah, it was Texas Southern. At least we didn't fire Jim Laranega. That is a shame. <laughs> That'll do it for Weston Walker Sports Radio, 92.7 WFNZ. Keep it right here for the Kyle Bailey Show alongside Smoke Ludwig. Coming up next.